Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Run It Back. Will, how's it going, man? Yo, I can't believe we got to talk about the Raptors right now. What else can we talk about besides the Raptors, please? Uh, come on, Alice. We got to be professional. L- listen, you know, I've seen one of these questions. It's going to ask if this is going to be one of the worst Raptors teams in the past decade. And I just have to remind people, listen, it gets a lot worse than being five games under 500. All right. So let's just stick together. Let's try to make the most of this. And um, let's see what they do with the trade deadline, because all this infighting at the moment is, is counterproductive. I feel like the fan base is very split and very angry. Yeah, no, definitely. So I figured, you know, the Raptors are going through a tough stretch right now. Uh, we're recording this before they play the Pistons. So hopefully they're starting to get some of the players back and we'll get into that. Let's do a round of true or false questions, Will. So I'm going to start with this one with you. True or false, we need to start looking up the play-in tournament schedule. Um, You know what? I have to say that might be true. And here's why. Look, the Celtics right now are the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. They're one game above 500. Let's say they finish the season two games above 500, which is still like a really, really pessimistic tick. I really do think the Celtics will finish higher than that. But let's just say to get six in the conference, you need to be two games above 500. In order for the Raptors to finish two games above 500 at this point, they need to go 20 and 13 the rest of the way. And keep in mind, they haven't played the Lakers yet. They haven't played the Clippers yet. They haven't played the Jazz yet. You know, they got some, they, they got, they got a semi-decently difficult um, schedule coming up. They also have a bunch of back-to-backs uh, and the Raptors have not done well in back-to-backs at all this season. So yeah, 20 and 13, just to finish two games above 500. And you need that six seed because that's the only thing that prevents you uh, six or higher to get out of the uh, playing tournament. So yes, you probably have to look up that tournament. And honestly, man, th- that could be our one game to shine. Listen, you know, like the Raptors right now are like, you know, March Madness is coming up. We're like, we're like that like 13 seed that, you know, could maybe win one or two games and we should be thrilled with that. And you know, that, that one or two games will be the playing tournament at this rate. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, Tampa, Tampa Bay Raptors sounds like a 13th seed. In, in an NCAA tournament. So, so it does make sense. It is tough because, listen, we all know that the Raptors have been obviously uh, ravaged by COVID and missing uh, three starters and other players on their roster. But, man, losing to Atlanta, Chicago, and Charlotte, I mean, those mm-hmm. are the exact teams that that was a huge stretch. They yeah. win those three games with a full roster, and we're having a completely different conversation right now, which leads me into my next true or false is that true or false, we can't really evaluate this basketball team properly because of everything that's happening during this pandemic season? I would say yes and no. Um, I would ultimately say false just because I do think there are some things you could have evaluated, maybe not necessarily the totality of like the group as a whole when everyone is healthy because we haven't fully really seen that. 
Um, but I do think in some of the end of the bench guys, I think we, we've been able to take an extended look at these guys. So past five games, you know, you're giving 20 plus minutes to, to Bembry, to, to Stanley Johnson, to, you know, Yuta Watanabe, to, um, you know, Aaron Baines, all these other guys. And I think the unfortunate takeaway is just like, you know, Fred talked about in the, when he finally returned from COVID and he had a great presser. He talked about it too. He's just like, it's kind of disappointing, right? We've seen young guys in the past on the Raptors where the Raptors like to build the rosters with like a competitive core. And then on the bench, it's like a bunch of prospects, right? And when guys got hurt, these prospects would come in and they would step up in, in these bigger roles. And nobody really stepped up during that stretch. And I think you can evaluate those guys based on the stretch. I know it's difficult circumstances, things like that, but like how many chances will Paul Watson get to play 27 minutes? And if he if he gives you five fouls and three turnovers, you know that that's that's unfortunate. It's kind of a chance not taken. Yeah, and I think Fred got at that this week. You know when he talked about how he was a little bit disappointed that these guys had the opportunity and didn't step up. Um, I'm with you there. I feel like kind of this individual evaluation of the guys, like you know you know whether the circumstances or not, like you know Aaron Baines has uh, struggled, you know as, mm-hmm. as a starting center, and none of those factors externally you know should get in the way of evaluating things like that but but i do think looking at the team's record and things of that nature is something that we need to kind of consider when, when looking at the bigger picture um next sure or false for you uh do you think this is true or false this is nick nurse's toughest head coaching challenge in his career come on bro you know this is not true you and i both read that nick nurse biography rapture 15 teams read it read it 10 countries times, that's whatever a motivational motivational book yeah no he's he's definitely had some like weird seasons and weird circumstances mm-hmm. happen to him overseas i'm sure this guy had to buy the team this guy had to buy the brighton bears or brighton whatever i always get these names wrong i'm sorry but yeah this guy had to buy the team to save it from going into bankruptcy man and then so it, he just became tillman Fertita in yeah, the middle and, of a season and then he bankrupted himself <laughs> in the process and had to come back to america and live with his his sister in the basement and like, and in a basement with, oh, with man. Nate Bjorkren drawing up plays on a whiteboard and then putting them into an Excel spreadsheet in like 2002. And you know, Excel in 2002 was not as easy to use as it is now. So this, no, this guy went on, this guy was like a full on accountant, man. Uh, you know, back in the time when he had to own the Brighton Bears. So I don't think it's necessarily the worst, but it definitely is challenging because I think obviously some of these circumstances you never faced before. This guy's even as much as Nick has coached everywhere, never coached through a pandemic, right? Never coached through the sort of like you just think about how how difficult it was for him. This guy had to have this guy had to be put into like safety protocols, the health and safety protocols. That must have been really tough. This guy was coaching through Zoom, right? And then afterwards, like the fact that he had these players, you know, you have to think about not just the the actual coaching itself, but just like taking care of the players' mentalities, right? Like, you know, the mental health aspect of this can't be overlooked. It's scary, the fact that these guys had one threat outbreak. And Nick, as the leader of the team, has to kind of guide the team through that. I mean, it is a really difficult challenge, but come on, man. He, he, unless he has to buy the Raptors, it's it's, it's not the same. Yeah, you know, I think the, the mental aspect of it, you know, definitely shouldn't be understated. I know Kyle was asked about this and talked about how he doesn't want to make excuses, but there's just such a mental toll. And, you know, I did talk to like one assistant coach in the league. And I guess if you follow me, you know, I only talked to one assistant coach in the league. So, you know who it is, but like, um, he told me that, you know, he hasn't talked about basketball with any of his players this season. 
because because you literally show up to the arena and usually I think it's a huge, you know, a way to kind of get away from everyday life. But when you're playing in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard to get away. And it is really tough on the guys right now. And like, I know we make fun of Nick for like always having those tantrums on the sidelines, but I think he's just genuinely frustrated by the whole situation. And it's totally understandable uh next true or false you know speaking of frustrations i know the fans are really frustrated right now and no bigger fan than william lou will is this the hardest uh raptor season to watch in almost a decade almost a decade i would say probably yeah i think the only thing that comes close is the second half of the 2015 2014-15 raptors where kyle Lowry got hurt in an overtime game against portland they lost and from that game on where the Raptors played the final 50 games of the season at 500 level, right? So they went from like 24 and seven to start the year. And then they finished the year, you know, uh, with the fourth seed, I believe. And that's the year they got swept by the Wizards, which we don't talk about. Um, that's about as close. But if we're talking about just strictly like the past decade, like if we're really talking about that, I mean, like, come on, man. The 2012 Raptors finished like, let me look up the record. The Raptors in 2012 finished... 34, the 23 and 43, man. That was the Solomon Alibi year. Their leader in win shares that season was Jose Calderon, man. And I love Jose Calderon, but come on, bro. That's, that was not it. Yeah, those Jay Triano years. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch much of it, to be honest. Um, yeah, no, I think um, it's been tough, but I still feel good, um, you know, about just getting past this season and where the team's going to be, and which leads me to my final true or false for you. True or false, the Raptors should start thinking about tanking. I don't want the players to think about tanking. Tanking is a front office move. The players themselves have a job to do. The coaches have a job to do, which is to win games and stay competitive. I don't think the coaches or players in this team will ever really think about tanking in that way. Um, it's really up to the front office if they want to do that. Quite honestly, it's going to be a little bit difficult to tank. And the thing is, the difference with this year as compared to previous seasons where we've seen like some egregious tank jobs is the lottery odds are flattened, right? So um, you don't necessarily need to have the absolute worst record. You don't need to have Tony Roten running pick and rolls with Henry Sims and, and winning like nine games a season like, uh, you know, the, the Sam Hinkie, um Sixers used to be. Like, if the Raptors finished, let's say, with the ninth worst record in the NBA, which is not out of the question, the Raptors have the 10th worst record in the NBA at the moment, then you still have a 23% chance at a top four pick. Um, so, and we've seen guys jump up, like New Orleans, I believe, jumped up um, to get the Zion, uh, to win the Zion sweepstakes. So, um I don't know. I think the players are going to try to win every single game. It's really just the front office's job. I think with everyone else healthy, they're going to bounce back a little bit. They might be a little bit too good to like completely tank. But I mean, if the front office decides to trade away some of their pieces, there's, there's only so much the players can do, right? Like it lets, if they trade Kyle, they trade Norm, they don't get anyone back immediately of value, then yeah, it might be very, very difficult to uh, just to, to not basically finish in a lottery. Yeah. You know, I will say, you know, when when fans talk about tanking i think they got to think about it. it's not just getting one pick like like tanking is a multi-year process and it requires you to like strip down uh the roster and you know there's rarely rookies that come in and are able to to be a difference maker uh, right away even lottery picks so when you're talking about tanking you're not just talking about tanking the rest of the season you're talking about tearing it down and starting a whole process and i just want to point people to teams like the detroit pistons who last won a championship in like 2004 
look at them now. It's 2021, and they're still trying to, I think, like win a playoff round for like the last 17 years. So just be careful what you wish for. That's all I'm saying. And it's not like there's maybe there is a Tim Duncan, uh, you know, in this draft. But like, I don't know, man. Tanking just starts you down a, a very uh, particular road that I don't know if a lot of people are are ready for. So um, before we wrap up. Uh, I just want to shout out Rondé Hollis Jefferson. You know, I feel like, you know, this man doesn't have an NBA job right now. Uh, and which, you know, right. doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, producers, if you can play this iconic video from him last year when he was just walking the streets of Toronto. And as our friend uh, Keyshawn pointed out, this was the night that Rondé lost his wallet. Um, <laughs> and he was asking where dinosaurs oh, yeah. came from, which uh, genuine question. You know, I thought about it a lot. I got a question for all y'all. How do they know what dinosaurs look like if they wasn't here? They wasn't here. How you put flesh on something you never saw? I need answers. I need them. Um, I mean, I know you would think about it a lot. What kind of mental state do you think is uh, what Rondé was in at this point, man? Do you think, uh, you know? Uh, a mental state that I've been in. Um, yeah, but yeah. I think... Um, no, shout out to man. That's the best piece of Raptors content that's ever been produced by a Raptors player. I know that might sound like Serge Ibaka slander, but I'm going to nominate that. No, it's pretty good, man. I, I still wouldn't say it's better than What to Do, Baby uh, with, with Kawhi and Serge in the, in the back of some car. But um, yeah, Two Clippers, it, two Clippers players. Yeah, just okay. hanging out. Okay, Let's, come on, yeah. man. The season's already bad enough, bro. You asked me about tanking. Now you're going to say that. Um no, it's a it's a great thing, and I really do wonder if like I don't know, man. Rondé had a night off, you know, went to the Rom. You know how the Rom has like you know back pre COVID had like these like fancy Friday nights, stuff like that. Maybe Rondé went to that, you know, got a little um, had a little champagne, looked at some of the dinosaurs, and he was just like he had some real questions. But to be honest, though, how how do they put flesh and bone flesh onto something that you never even saw, man? Like how? Like, bro, they'll be showing you dinosaurs with, like, 16 different colors on them with, like, uh, purple and, like, green. And I'm like, how do you know that? There's no way you know that, man. There's there's no way. I mean, I understand you can, like, date the bones and stuff like that through carbon dating. But, like, how do you know the color of that? You just made that up in your mind, essentially. Yeah, and this was millions of years ago. I don't know. Just like Rondé said, man, how do you know if they wasn't here, man? If they wasn't here, man. Exactly, bro. All right, that does it for us for this week. Uh, before we sign off, you know, I do, I do want to take a moment uh, just to quickly mention and talk about um, another hate crime that happened in Atlanta uh, this week and just the general uptake in, in tar- tar- targeted attacks, you know, in, in the Asian community, especially towards women um, and the elderly. You know, Will, I know you and I both have a lot of these conversations, you know, about things that happen in the Asian community privately. But I think it's, it's important for everybody to know that there's a lot of people in the Asian community right now who, who are living in fear and, you know, talking about these crimes. And I know we're mostly a basketball show that hopefully gives people a semblance of entertainment um, every week, especially as we continue to live in a pandemic. But we also recognize, I think, that there's a huge uh, Raptors fan base within the Asian community. And I think a lot of people watch the show are from that community. So we just want to let them know that we recognize everything that's happening right now. Um, and we're going to continue to try to figure out how to use our platform to talk about this stuff, whether it's on this show or somewhere else. And to everyone else, uh, you know, we hope you can join the conversation too and start having these discussions uh, in your social networks because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think it all starts with 
an understanding and recognition of the problems that exist um, in the Asian community right now. So does that, that's what I have to say on that. I don't know if you have anything else to add. No, I think that's really well said. Um, and I think if you're going to try to start the conversation, you have to start the conversation with the fact that there has been a, a huge rampant bipartisan push uh, in, in favor of xenophobia and that specifically xenophobia leads to these hate crimes because you can have a political campaign centered around demonizing every single thing that Chinese people do um, and not have that spill over into violence. And we've seen that at the highest level with the president. We've seen that at the highest level in terms of the senators and uh, politicians at the very top. And to quite honestly, we see it in terms of this is bipartisan. And that's the sad part. I mean, I think, you know, you can criticize the government if you want to, but you cannot separate, most people cannot separate governments from people. And to be honest, most of these racists who are committing these hate crimes can't separate Chinese people from Japanese people, from Korean people, from Vietnamese people, from Filipinos. And um, it's gonna affect everybody. So it's really scary, but I think the, the states in a way is reaping what they sowed. And that is the scariest part. I don't think this comes from nowhere. And also there's a long history of this. If you really look into it, there is a very, very long history of discrimination against Asian Americans. Um, in Canada, in the United States, you know, the, um, I mean, I don't want to go on all to it because it's, it's too much, but really, if you want to have this conversation, do some research into this, these, these topics and, uh, yeah, but no, it's, it's, it's absolutely horrifying, man. I mean, you know, I have you know, two grandparents live at home, you know, I, I talk to my parents, I'm, I'm worried about them. Uh, and it's irrational. I mean, I don't think anyone should worry about their safety, um, just based on the, uh, their ethnicity, which is kind of primitive to think about, but it's unfortunately very, very true, even in uh, 2021. So hopefully we can stop doing this, man. Yeah. And, you know, shout outs to, you know, Jeremy Lin and a lot of other people <clears throat> in the basketball community who are continuing to uh, talk about this and, and we'll continue to have the conversation about it too. So that does it for us for this week. Uh, as always, just want to thank everyone uh, for watching, um, you know, subscribe to the Iowa Sports Canada YouTube channel. Make sure you hit thumbs up and we'll see you next week. Run it back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.